As we've been uh, um, beginning our journey through the book of Job, and I've been talking a lot about, um, at least it's a different perspective than than what I see so often in, in commentaries or other people's notes, because we have the same problems when we read the book of Job that Job's friends had. We have a hard time reconciling uh, bad things happen to good people. We have a hard time dealing with the suffering in life and how that relates to, to the things that are going on in our life. And one of the issues, one of the struggles that we have is we have a tendency to live our life or to make our focus man-centric. So everything's about how it affects me rather than how this affects God. And the challenge of the book of Job is Job's outlook was centered on the Lord. That doesn't mean he didn't complain. We're going to talk about that tonight. And we're going to talk about how how we can do that in a way that we don't have to we don't have to worry about about it in in the sense that uh, somehow we're going to make our situation worse or or that God can't handle it. Uh, you guys remember the children of Israel, right? And they're following Moses and and they come to a period of time where they're complaining. They're doing a lot of complaining. Not shocking, right? Children of Israel did a lot of complaining along their journey. But one particular day, the children of Israel are are complaining and Moses does what, what he always did. They complained. He went to the tabernacle. He went to the Lord. And he, he bowed down on the, on the ground before the Lord and the Lord gave him instructions. They were thirsty. Go speak to the rock. And Moses got up and as he heard the complaints of the people, he got angry. And when he got to the rock, he didn't speak to it. He struck it. He misrepresented God to the people. He behaved in such a way that the people thought God was angry with them. But the scripture doesn't tell us that God was angry with them. And when Moses struck the rock, we know water came forth, even though he did it wrong. Because God was still meeting the needs of the people, even though Moses, you know, was in a bad spot. And we know the judgment that came on Moses, right? The Lord said Moses couldn't go into the promised land. And sometimes, you know, we get uptight about God's judgments. But I don't want you to miss. Moses represents the law. And the law can't take you into the promised land. Still can't. And Miriam represented the prophets, but she died outside. She couldn't take in. And Aaron represented the priests, but he died outside and he couldn't take us in. It was until a fellow named Yehoshua, we call him Joshua. But if you say his name in the Greek, we all know what it is, right? Yehoshua's name, Joshua's name is Jesus. And he takes us in. So we see that 
part of God's purpose was that Moses was not ever going to take them in. But God understood that Moses was going to lose patience with the people in their suffering. And we see that happen a lot in the church. We have in the church, church people have a struggle dealing with broken people. We all do at one time or another have a hard time dealing with people who are broken. People who make the same mistakes over and over again. That we don't usually have a hard time having patience for ourselves when we do that. But we definitely have a hard time with others. Because that's part of our nature. One of the things we've been talking about as we've been working our way through Romans is the fact that we have a a broken nature. An old nature. The old man. The sin nature. I don't care what you call it. That part of us that is in rebellion to the things of God. And that part causes Job's friends to focus on all the wrong things. They were so good for seven days. You guys remember, right? They came. That showed that they were willing to bring their presence. They didn't just get on a bus, right? It was not just, they walked. All the way to Job's place. It wasn't just he was living on the other corner of the block. So they traveled from different lands to get to Job. And they came personally with their presence. And then they, they did, carried about appropriate actions, right? They tore their, their cloak because that's what, what people did in that time to show their mourning. They put ashes on their head. And then they sat down there with Job and were just with him to bring comfort. But in the core of every one of us, there's this issue. That if you're doing good, then God has to do good for you. And that their struggle in the church to to come to terms with the fact, we don't have all the answers. Job's going to ask a lot of questions in chapter 3. And here's the good news. When we get to chapter 42, they're still going to be the same questions. We still got questions. If we, if that's not part of our reality, where there are things that we still wonder before the Lord, why? Then I don't think we're being honest. Because honestly, there's a lot of things I wonder why it go down this way. Why did that have to happen? But through it all, here's what I want you to hold on to. Through it all, please don't forget what God said. Don't forget what God told us about the man we're reading about. That there was a man in the land of us whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright. And one who feared God and shunned evil. He had more possessions than anybody else in the East. The richest man in the East. He had ten children who loved each other so much they hung out all the time, moving from one house to the other to hang out. It was a tight-knit family. Job was always interceding for his children and praying for his kids. And the Scripture tells us that Satan came before the Lord, the accuser, And God said, have you considered my servant, Job? There's nobody else like him. 
And when we go, because we're going to start doing, tonight we're going to do chapter 3, but the the chapters, we'll we'll do more chapters in the future as we look at the discourse between Job and his friends. And we're going to be tempted to say, Job didn't say this right. Job's attitude's not good. But if we say that, we're arguing with what God said. We're arguing with what the Lord is laying out for us. Listen, in verse 22 of chapter 1, In all this, Job did not sin nor charge God with any wrong. We come to chapter 2. Toward the end of chapter 2, the rest of the, the suffering that has been poured out upon Job. It says in verse 10, at the end of verse 10, In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. We go all the way to the end, flip all the way to the end of the book, because I, I don't want us to lose the, the connection with what it is that God is saying about Job. Now the end. All the discourses are done. Job has said everything he's going to say in verse 7 of chapter 42. About halfway through the verse, he says, My wrath is aroused against you and your two friends. That's Eliphaz. Uh, and his two friends, for you have not spoken of me what is right, as Job my servant has. Then you go down to the end of verse 8. He's telling them to make an offering, and that Job's going to pray for him. And if Job prays for him, they'll be okay. At the end of verse 8, he says, because you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. So I want you to recognize as we go through chapter 3 and we start to take a look at, uh, at the complaints that Job brings up. Satan's goal was that Job would condemn God. That he would blame God. That he would say, you know, like, like Job's wife wanted him to say in chapter 2, curse God and die. Why do you hold to your integrity that God is still for you? How can God still be for you when you've lost everything, your children are all dead, you're covered with sores, you're sitting in a pile of ash, just bleeding on the ground, surrounded by these these three friends? How can you say God is for you? Because everything that we can see from the outside is saying that God hates you. God's mad at you. You did something wrong. And a lot of times that can be our attitude when we see someone suffering. The comfort of Job's friends, their desire was to meet Job's need. They didn't come to to be rude or to get it wrong. But we have this thing inside of us that is bent away from God. That is, struggles with the ability to accept from the hand of God those hard things too. Nothing enters our life. Mine, yours, ours, nothing that doesn't pass through the hands of a God who died for you. God is in control. He hasn't lost it. So as Job begins his complaint in in chapter 3. I want you to notice that God never condemns him for this. He doesn't condemn him for this because, well, gee, Wally, God knows what's going on in your heart. 
Now, I've heard a lot of people talk about that. God knows what's going on in your heart, so you might as well tell him. Well, I would temper that with this. Yeah, be careful. Job never pointed a finger at God or shook his fist at God. Job Job accepted everything that was in his life from the hands of God, but he didn't understand it. Have you ever been there? He didn't understand why. He didn't understand. I can't even begin to imagine if I lost one child, how deep my grief would be. Let alone all your children at once. And all your stuff. To be honest, I don't know that that really caused him all that much anxiety. And then all your health. In two days. The grief and the complaint is okay. Just like it was... God wasn't angry at the children of Israel when they were complaining. He was, he was angry with Moses for, for the way he reacted. And we all have to remember that because we're all capable of reacting poorly, right? I know I do. And I want to learn from the lessons that, that Job teaches us. Job's complaints, we'll see here in chapter 3, are reasonable. And there's three reasons why I think they are reasonable. And we're going to talk about them as we work our way through through it. So let's take a look. Chapter 3. After this, Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. Now, that's not such a stretch, right? We sat down and be honest, there's been a time or two, each of us have at one time or another said, yeah, I'm just kind of ready to die and leave all this behind. And that's where Job was. It says in, in verse 3, May the day perish on which I was born. As we look at this section, remind yourself, we are listening to the voice of the sufferer. And remember one of the things we talked about in bringing comfort to those who are suffering is that it's not our job to have an answer. And every time someone has a why, it doesn't mean we have to answer the why. In fact, if we don't know the answer to the why, it's always best not to give an answer. We're there. The comfort is to strengthen the knees and the weak arms that are hanging down to come alongside. And so Job is voicing the the emotion that's in his heart. If you can even begin to fathom The pain he's got to be feeling. And the questions he's got to have. And as he expresses it, he curses the day of his birth. May the day perish on which I was born, and the night in which it was said a male child is conceived. One of the things that we see here in this um, third verse of Job chapter 3 is something that you see taught all the way through Scripture. As a side note, the Bible teaches us that life begins at conception. The night that he was conceived, they said, a male child has been conceived. He's talking of, he's cursing the day he was born. He's cursing the day he was thought of in the minds of his mother and father. He's thinking it'd been better if I had never been born. He said, may the day be darkness. May God above not seek it, nor the light shine upon it. 
Now, he never blames God. He never lays out anything other than the questions that I don't understand what's going on. And it's okay for us to ask those questions. It doesn't show a lack of faith to say, I don't understand. Sometimes the best thing we can say is come alongside and say, I don't either. But but I know in whom I have believed and I am persuaded he's able to keep us unto that day. So Job reaching out, the day he was born, it should have never happened. The sun should have never come up. The light should have never shone on it. That day shouldn't even have existed. It says, may darkness and the shadow of death claim it. Now the word throughout Job, you're going to see the word used often for darkness or deep darkness is the exact same wording you see in Psalm 23. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. So it's this what he's declaring. I'm in the valley of the shadow of death. And we can understand how he would feel that way, right? God's promise to us, although, although Job doesn't know it yet, because he's during the time of the patriarchs. So at best, Genesis 1 through 11 has been written. Nothing else. No Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth. None of that exists. Job predates all of that. So as he's predating that, he, he doesn't have a lot of other things to draw on except his own experience with God. He doesn't have the, the things you and I have where we can go to Scripture and cling to the promises that God gives us. He, Job doesn't have that. And so as he's, as he's calling out, may the darkness and the shadow of death claim it. May a cloud settle over it. May the blackness of the day terrify it. As for the night, may darkness seize it. May it not rejoice among the days of the year, may it not come into the number of the months. So not only is he wishing he was never born, that his parents had never conceived him, but now he's wishing that the day that he was born could be taken out of the month and that the day never existed. That there, there, everything that links him to earth and his suffering was removed. And in all this, Job did not sin with his lips. There's nothing wrong with Job's grieving. Job's grieving is reasonable. Well, he goes on in verse 7. Oh, may that night be barren. May no joyful shouts come into it. The joyful shout on the day of his birth when a, when a son was born. They would start blowing the trumpets and they would run and they would shout. To, they're a child, just like we do today. Well, today we pass out uh, cigars or sometimes the pop, not popcorn, uh, bubblegum cigars. I like those better. All the cigars just end up in a drawer somewhere until the cat eats them or the dog gets them or... But nonetheless, we celebrate, right? We call, we, we let everybody know. He's saying, may that, that time of rejoicing never have come. Uh, no joyful shout that would come into it. 
And when he says no joyful shout, he's literally saying, I wish nobody was born on that day. Nobody else. No other, not just me, no other children had been born at that time. He goes on to say, may those curse it who curse the day. May those curse it who curse it. It's interesting words. Basically, he's calling on the professional cursers. People who would be hired to go curse someone else. So he's saying, call the professional cursers to curse the day. Now, we all know a professional cursor. There's a Bible story about him. He had a donkey who tried to stop him, but he wanted to go. He was being hired by a king to curse the children of Israel. And he was going to get paid a lot of money to do it. So the concept of cursors, professional cursors, we see it in the page of Scripture. He's saying, may those who curse, the professional cursors, curse the day. And those who are ready to arouse Leviathan. Leviathan is a word for dragon. Literally means twisted serpent. Whether it is uh, an existing creature at that time or whether it's a mythological creature, it doesn't make any difference. We get the idea, right? Like, may those who are ready to uh, uh, take the sea monster out of the sea curse the day, just like those who would curse the day if they had woke up Leviathan. If you were taking a ship across the ocean and, and if this is a mythological creature and it woke up and the tentacles came around the boat and drug you to the bottom, you would curse the day. That's what he's saying. Curse that day. Curse the day. Those who are ready to arouse Leviathan. Then he says, may the stars of its morning be dark. That the, the stars wouldn't even shine. And may it look for light but have none. And not see the dawning of the day. So the sun go down and not come back up again. So he's feeling pretty down, right? Because it didn't shut up the doors of 